welcome, 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 everyone. Soccer Central News. My name is Kyle. On the Soccer Central News podcast, I'm joined with my good friend Tyler Bates, and we're going to dive right into it, my friend. Mm-hmm. Let's go. First things Let's first. Transfer market loans, 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 loans. <laughs> yeah, the loans aren't moving the market. Unlike my friends at GameStop and AMC movie theaters, the big money <laughs> movers, there is nothing moving moving in the transfer market we have loans everywhere the biggest loan to drop out of the news is the one and only 22 year old norwegian martin Odegaard, season-long loan to arsenal the number 10 number 10 playmaker like i say it's only 22 years old has a much needed depth to the gunners especially in the tacky mid section he is very versatile and he usually plays at the number 10 role like i said at the attacking mid and or out to the right Tyler Bates, your thoughts? Yes, no, this guy has been something that you can watch. I mean, for me specifically, just because because I pay attention to Dortmund more and with his teammate Erling Holland, if you recall, Odegaard is Norwegian, so he plays alongside with Holland when he's playing for Team Norway. But no, I, I do like this move on what Arsenal was going to do as far as the midfielding goes. Now, I know they were after somebody as by the name of Ulian Brandt, who is on Borussia Dortmund, a potential, his name was coming up on a potential loan, and he plays a similar position that Odegaard brings too. But I think with depth issues, not necessarily depth issues, but maybe just as far as Injury-wise, guys getting hurt in the particular position, and especially with uh, one of the guys going out for the rest of the year on Achilles, I believe that Dortmund felt in the best interest to kind of keep around William Brandt as far as depth-wise and especially for the experience. So Odegaard coming in, I mean, this guy signed with Real Madrid at eight, I believe, at 15, 16 years old. 15 years old, yep, and then he was on loan. Yeah. And then he was on loan there for a while. He did appear in a couple of matches. He has been one of the youngest guys that has appeared in a match. I'm not necessarily certain if he's ever started a match for Real Madrid, but he has been one of the youngest that has been out on the pitch for Real Madrid. And his last game that he did, he did the last couple of games that he has played for Real Madrid in appearances, he did start in the Champions League play in a 2-0 loss to Shakhtar. And then on here a little while back on the 2nd of January was his last appearance with Real Madrid in a 2-0 win over Celta Virgo. So for this particular situation, though, you want to bring in the youth, you wanted to bring in somebody on the attacking side. And that's exactly what Arsenal needed to do as far as for me, as far as the balance on the field. Because really, honestly, right now, ever since late December, Arsenal actually have been quite a, have been on a roll quite a bit, actually, as a matter of fact. And they dug themselves out of the bottom half of the table. They actually find themselves on the better side of the top of the table, on the other side of the table in the Premier League standings right now. So bringing in a little bit more balance, more youth, and especially with this guy, which I Noah plays very fast because Norwegian style of play is attack fast, play hard up to the field. And I think he'll fit well in Mikel Arteta's system. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so uh, looking at my uh, – he, he's going to be playing in that number 10 role, uh, s- similar to uh, Danny Ceballos, who will probably play right behind him. Also, Danny Ceballos also being from Real Madrid. The two players have, I'm sure, have spoken to each other. So, unlike Arsenal, who have moved from 14th all the way up to 8th, 7th, 8th, uh, depending on uh, the closeout of the games this afternoon, Arsenal are moving up in the world. However, on the other side of it, Chelsea draw at Wolves. Frank Lampard gets canned. Mm. And it is, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Tuchel? Tuchel? Tuchel. Tuchel. Tuchel takes over. One of your old friends yes. takes over at Chelsea. You know, I, I, to be honest, I'm gonna, just going to get my two cents in here. Frank Lampard, you know, he gets canned. However, this is a trend by Chelsea. They have axed a lot of their managers. Uh, so do I feel bad for Frank? Absolutely. Because I think I, I, I would like to see him with more time because uh, he, he was given pretty much a blank, check, a blank check and said, here, here you go. And he bought and bought and bought. And the only problem is that I believe uh, there's – between like the midfielders and the strikers, he had eight different possible rotations and combinations. That's a problem mm-hmm. because with players that can't build any cohesion uh, and any playing off each other, what do you do? And I think that's where Frank had the issues that he was given too much money, and this is a bad thing in this in this in this uh, 
in this uh, conversation. So what are you going to do? And I think that's where the problem probably came into flourishing is that the players didn't have any sort of uh, cohesion with each other. Uh, fantastic players, but what are you going to do? On the other hand, Steven Gerrard, on the other hand, uh, former EPL standout, is undefeated at Rangers, sitting at 72 points on top of <laughs> the Scottish Premier League. Tyler Bates, your thoughts? Well, as far as Steven Gerrard goes, I mean, the Scottish Premier League is pretty much for Rangers taking the season. Celtic is not going to be able to make any run. And, I mean, it's pretty much a league that is dominated <clears> – <throat> by Rangers and by Celtic. It's pretty much name whatever team to that season. There's always been a debate that maybe one of these two should join into the EPL or maybe just fold the Scottish League folds into the FA system. Different story for a different day. But, I mean, I, I credit what Gerard's doing. As far as Lampard's situation, I discussed this with my friend um, Mason, who is a big, big Chelsea fan himself. And he was trying to give, as he said, we tried to give Lampard the benefit of the doubt as much as they could. But, I mean, 18 months in, $300 million was spent to bring in the likes of Timo Werner, Hakim Siich, Kai Havertz. And not only that, you still had Pulisic into this into the system. Exactly, and into and let's let's not forget that Zayic was a very very heavily recruited individual by multiple teams. Yes, so Zich, that drove his value. Yes, Zayic was very heavily recruited into the situation. But you have to, I I don't want to take too much away because given on situations, Kai Havertz had a bad case of COVID, was having some issues getting well over the time frame. So him getting back onto the pitch was an issue. We've been yep, having yep. problems with Captain America, Mr. Pulisic, with the hamstring <laughs> issues himself, which is kind of worrying me just a little bit. But so far, knock on wood, it seems that things are getting a little bit healthier. The biggest question right now for me has, has got to be Timo Werner and what has been this situation. But you mentioned it, Kyle, the rotation that Lampard had. There was never a solid solid starting 11 that he would go with for this particular situation. And you also have to wonder too, is Mitt was, was Mendy what exactly they needed as far as a keeper? Is he better than Kepa? I don't know in this particular situation. It seemed at the start that he was going to be better, but that was a lot of money to dish out. And especially in the pandemic timeframe to, to bring in a guy like Mendy. So I would assume that there's going to have to be a little more stability with Tuchel, what he's going to have to do with this roster. But if there's somebody that can do it, Let's remember that Thomas did coach Pulisic under Borussia Dortmund, so he knows him Correct. very well. He knows the Bundesliga system very well, so that could benefit Timo Werner to his situation. And also Kai Havertz. So I expect Tuchel to bring in his attacking formation because what he brought to PSG. He had Thiago. I don't know what keeps happening. Oh, dude. man. I, I don't know. I didn't even move my stuff, and it just yeah. dropped. All right, so. Where should we leave off? And I'll time I'll timestamp it. Um, we can leave off. Uh, let's see. I mean, I was discussing I was discussing Chelsea, right? In front. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's pick up at what you're talking about, about Zayich. Okay. Uh, and give me eight seconds. Okay. So we'll go in at one minute. Ready when you are. Okay. So talking about Hakeem Ziyech, I mean, with his situation, I mean, Ziyech was highly, highly recruited and was highly sought after by a lot of clubs himself, but I mean, ultimately choosing the attacking front with Chelsea. But I mean, you get into this situation with what Ziyech and with Timo Werner and with Pulisic and also with Kai Havertz in mind, I believe that Tuchel can be the one that can bring this together because let's remember that Tuchel was the one that coached, that did coach Pulisic at Borussia Dortmund. Correct. So he knows the Bundesliga system well. And that'll especially benefit for Kai Havertz and also for Timo Werner itself. Tiago, Tiago Silva was with him at PSG for a time too. So this is going to take a little bit of time. Like I said, he was he was appointed manager on Monday, and this was his first match on Wednesday. So a draw to Wolves today, not necessarily the outcome I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans didn't want. But I tell you what, you have to give this a little bit of time. So let's just it's more of riding the ship and weathering the storm for Chelsea if they want to finish in the top four is what I see for right now. I think I saw a stat. Uh, earlier today that uh, they had over 800 passes. Uh, that's, that's a lot that's, of passes. That's, that's quite impressive, and they still only drew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So yeah. <laughs> I, we'll see. Yeah. We'll kind of see what happens there. I mean, but I mean, it's just they're in a huge, huge race right now, which all of a sudden in the EPL has just become di- just combodulated right at the top of the table with the first first 10, even 11 spots. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Chelsea is, in, is one of those uh, teams that's in the uh, their hot story this year for a number, number of reasons. Uh on that and the sacking of their manager obviously just uh, adds fuel to the fire. Chelsea right now sitting at eighth place mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of teams uh, chomping at the bit right below them. Um, so moving on, impressed or not impressed, Sheffield United, four and one in the last five games. They have nine goals in five games in all competitions. Today beating informed Man United, actually uh, the league leader Man United at the moment, or was at the moment, continuing on also in their FA Cup as well. Tyler Bates, impressed or not impressed? Well, I have to be a little bit. I mean, let's give records on where it's at. Uh, two of these four wins come from EPL, and the other two come from FA Cup. But, I mean, especially today, able to pull out a win at <clears throat> at one of the league-leading Manchester United, which proves, again, that Manchester United is still having some hiccup issues when trying to get the job done at home. I don't know exactly what happened on their mindset today, but I have to be a little bit impressive, and especially for Sheffield's, Sheffield's case, because if they want to make any type of battle to get out of the relegation zone, they need to start winning like they have been recently, because with two wins right now, they're still sitting three points behind West Brom and five points behind Fulham, but that still doesn't even get them out of the relegation zone because they're 10 points behind Brighton right now if they want to stay safe. But if this is the form that they want to get into and get out of the out of the EPL's bottom cellar dwelling-wise, it's exactly what they want to be doing, and especially with today's, it's today's showing and also in the FA Cup showing too. So it's a matter of also to what teams prioritize for themselves. And I understand maybe that Sheffield would love to probably add an FA Cup title to their chest, but I think the biggest things for them right now is what can we do to continue improving and winning matches and getting ourselves back out of the, out of the relegation and back into the safe zone so that we're not getting out of the, re- we're not being relegated out because I didn't expect Sheffield to be in this situation come at the beginning of the season. And this has been a big shocker to me because I this almost is essentially the same squad that was there last season. So the big turnaround and downfall from what has happened from last season, I just don't know. But it's a good start for them so far. Absolutely, I think my I think but they're starting out o five and eighteen, o five and eighteen. That is absurd. <laughs> that's right? that is absurd. However, if they can keep on their uh, let's just call it miracle FA Cup run. Uh, the farther they go in, obviously, the more money they receive, and that to them, I'm sure they would say is a win, even though they will get relegated. Uh, <laughs> on the other side of things, impressed by West Ham. West Ham, all competitions, last 10 games, one loss, and that was two. You guessed it, Chelsea, 3 0 loss to Chelsea. West Ham have four clean sheets for the Hammers, three in a row at one time, 15 goals scored, nine conceded, notable wins, Leeds and Everton, if you go back a little further uh, for Leeds. They are four points behind Leicester right now. They are four points behind Leicester City at 39 and 35 points. So West Ham sits at fourth in the EPL, notable above Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, and Arsenal. Tyler Bates, you you, you got to be impressed. You got to be imp- of, you got to be impressed. Absolutely, you have to be impressed with both West Ham because if if memory serves correctly with me, Kyle, I believe this was one of my teams that was one of my relegation candidates at the beginning of the season. <laughs> I believe I had them going down because we looked at them from last season, and I just could not see anything from what I looked at from last season that led me to believe that they could do anything this season to keep them above. But I'll tell you what, just the way that their style of play, the way that they're able to grind out wins, no matter what the cost and the outcome would be, as a testament to themselves, not only to the players, but also to the ownership and management itself, just to say that we were this close to being relegated last season, guys. We can't let this happen to us, not with as big of a club as what it was, what we had built to get out of the championship division, which they weren't, they weren't 
too long ago in this, fighting their way to get back into the Premier League. So with West Ham, one of the more storied clubs itself in from the from the city of London, yes, I am impressed with what they're doing. And not just only that itself, but also keeping themselves in competition as far as things go in the FA Cup wise. So if things keep rolling, yes, West Ham may have something to say as far as getting a spot in Europe next season and maybe also to make a deep run in this FA Cup as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? Um, next game is going to be uh, Sunday. Uh, they're playing against Liverpool. That's probably the biggest game. I hope everyone watches that one. Uh, and you know what? Even if they do lose, um, a draw would be good. And I'm sure they want to win. Uh, but if they win, they probably won't move up, depending on the weekend's uh, weekend's uh, points. But if they do draw, all right, fair enough. But if they lose, they're not going to fall too far. And I think even if you, if, even if they keep it close with Liverpool and they do lose, I still think that they would be happy. I would think that it would have to be because, I mean, you have to think right now with the of the people that are behind them. Yes, Liverpool have a game in hand with them. The two that I would watch for would probably be Tottenham and Everton both with both teams having two games in hand right now. Now, very sneakily, sneaky is Aston Villa. Yes, they're sitting there mid-table wise with, but right now, but they also have two games in hand. Two wins for Aston Villa would put them right there if West Ham were not to win the next couple of games. So these are games that are very important for everybody right now in the top half of the table. So as you mentioned there, Arsenal got themselves back into the top side of the half of the table. So they're certainly in competition right now to get to the coveted five spots. I mean, it's been a dogfight right now, but I mean, I would say this. I did not expect, and I saw stats come out earlier, that Manchester City was still the favorite to win the Premier League, and I thought that was absolute garbage. So I have to first apologize to that, because all of a sudden, sitting there right now, with a game in hand, with Manchester United's loss today, he's none other than Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. And oh, by the way, he's doing this without Sergio Aguero. He's doing this without Kevin De Bruyne. His goal differential is 13 better than Manchester United. And, oh, yes, he's got a match in hand, too, with a one-point lead. So, all of a sudden, for all the talk about Pep Guardiola, maybe is his job in jeopardy this season, Manchester City is sitting there in first place right now. And guess who they play next? (laughs) Sheffield United. Sheffield United. So... Challenge accepted, Sheffield United. You beat first one first place team. Can you get another one this week? Absolutely, absolutely. And like we talked about, the, we talked about in the, in the last few shows, the big big names and big clubs uh, have been. Uh, it's anyone's the big big names and big clubs have not been been performing, especially when the EPL originally started the season, weren't performing very well. As we said, we said what ten different le- uh, league leaders between yeah. everyone. And uh, the middle table uh, is very, is very, very spicy. Um, from it's probably around fifteen and up, twelve and up. Uh, it's it's really, really, really tight. Uh, it's anyone's game. And honestly, uh, I'm I'm a fan of Leicester City. I hope Leicester City uh, make a good push. They've had some very, very good wins. Um, they're sitting at uh, fourteen plus goal differential right now. And uh, you know, I think they can if they make some more key wins. I think they'll be fine. They're playing against Leeds United next. Uh, Leeds is a very, very good team. They like to counterattack. Uh, they are a counterattacking team, very speedy team, very athletic team. Um, but I think, I think, Le- I think Leicester will be fine on them. Next up, my friends, mm. we're gonna we're gonna jump leagues to the Serie A. Yeah. We got the big one to talk about. It is the Milan, <laughs> is the Milan Derby. Yeah, uh, Inter versus AC Milan. Inter win two to one, but that isn't the biggest conversation well, in this game to clarify to clarify to our people let's remember that this wasn't actually Serie A action this was actually Coppa d'Italia de, de action right. this was actually semi-final action from there but still an inter a Milan derby happened nonetheless and we had a little bit of issues in this as well absolutely absolutely and this game did not disappoint as you can see from if you follow some of your soccer pages and everything football pages Ibrahimovic and Lukaku had a very shall we say, spicy incident going right yeah. into halftime. Uh, and if you watch the replay, uh, I, if for I think uh, myself, I, I, can, I think I can speak for both of us, uh, that Soccer Central News and its affiliates and its friends and all of its people do not promote racism and or racist comments. With that being said, uh, it, it's I guess there's a rumor flying around that Ibra said something about 
you know, uh, something about donkeys and whatever, you know, and, uh, but he had both, both, you know, and you like to see both uh, players, teammates come in, defend each other, which, you know, I respect that and everything, but notably Paul Pogba comes back and defends Ibrahim and said, he's not racist whatsoever. Right. And then if you look at, if you look it up and on other people's, you know, there's this quote and that quote and everything in this, it, it comes out to, it's a Milan Derby and Lukaku is a big guy, right? The Belgian international, yes. he's a, he's a big guy. Ibrahimovic is a big guy, right? These are two guys that you don't want to face off with, but, and if, if I, if I watch the replay correctly, it is a off ball incident that a foul was on Lukaku and then off of someone, I forgot who it was, off of someone else. And then everything, and Ibrahimovic wasn't even in the original play and then stuff. And then everything pretty much, you know, add fuel to the fire and everything happened to them. Ibrahimovic ended up getting a second yellow card um, and got a red, obviously. Huge, like I said, huge, huge verbal altercation uh, before halftime. Uh, Lukaku had to be held by his teammates and uh, coaches. Uh, the Milan Derby, always <laughs> spicy, always spicy. It's always spicy, but let me clarify a few things there. Um, Lukaku's, yes, it was an off-ball incident. He did get fouled. I don't remember who the player was that fouled him. But this was in the 45th minute, and this is when the altercation began. Started between these two, and then Ibrahimovic and Lukaku got into it with each other. What was supposed to be a two-minute added extra time for stoppage time at the end of the first half ended up being a minute of full on altercations and everything, which I, again, I don't know what the official was thinking, letting this continue, letting this go to half and playing only one minute of the two minute of stoppage time. If anything, you should have been playing at least another minute from there, but that's where Ibrahimovic gets his first card. Both him and Lukaku both received yellow cards for that match. Now, Ibrahimovic's second yellow comes off of a foul. Again, I don't remember. I, I, thought was. His, I thought his second yellow was very, very soft. Um, however, yes. I didn't see any other fouls leading up to that, so we don't know what the tally was for the referee going into that personal foul. I don't know what the tally was behind it, but yes, after looking at the replay, I, that to me, I, I, it almost looked like to me the player clipped himself, hmm. to me, honestly. And the positioning of where the official was, I don't like that either because as an official for me going into my second year of officiating, what have I learned is that I want to be in about pretty close to the center of play. They say they want you positioned at least 15 yards away from the ball. Well, I can tell you that the official was nowhere near fit, at least 15 yards or even closer to where the action was at, so probably he didn't have a very good good eye set so eyes can really manipulate you and when guys sell it and especially in this particular play you absolutely did see something i thought a little bit of selling the call itself which drew the yellow card which drew the red card for Ibrahimovic to be sent off now the consequences behind that is that yes inter milan not inter milan ac milan was it was ac milan that did get the win correct if i'm correct correct me if i'm wrong is uh inter inter did win so i mean in this situation, I mean, as far as domestic league goes, I don't think it really affects Ibrahimovic's side. But the next time any Copa Italia happens, he's going to be banned for however many matches that he has to serve for this matter. But it just goes to show again that I, I, officials need to be a little bit more consistent, a little bit closer. And as far as the racist comments go, I, I have never in my life ever seen somebody like Ibrahimovic to be even come across as somebody who was racist. He was never right. one in the MLS. Right. He has the support of Pogba. He has the support of many, many others. To me, this to me sounds like a really, really dirty rumor starting, which unfortunately Lukaku tends to have a little bit of a hothead. Now I like, again, I never, ever, ever condone any type of racism comments, but I don't think that anything could have been said Probably cooler head to prevail from this. Everybody will turn heads. We'll turn the page. Yes, it will be remembered as one of the more memorable derbies heading into the Coppa d'Italia. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it is. It's a. It's a very, very good game. Ibrahimovic uh, uh, did score. However, uh, it is what it is. Moving on. <laughs> beauty of yeah, beauty of a goal, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah, did like that goal, by the way. Beautiful. So. It was a good goal itself. So I guess for me, moving into another subject from there, 
One of the big things on Soccer Central News for myself and Kyle is, yes, we're both very, very excited about 2026. Why? Well, we know that the World Cup is coming to the United States, as we know. And my goal, especially, I don't know about Kyle, but my goal for me is to take the whole month off, the whole month off for work and at least at minimum get to one match on each of the three countries, be Mexico, Canada and the USA. And I'm hoping to get coast to coast for USA matches. Now, the host city candidate lists were re, was released today. Now, if you want a full list and you want to know all, you want to know the entire list of what hap- of what that looks like, you can go to our Facebook page. I've already got that posted from earlier, what the candidate list looks like. But you have three cities in Mexico, you have three cities in Canada, and then you have a plethora list of candidate cities from the United States. The majority of the matches are going to take place in the United States. I can already tell our listeners now, the final has been destined to be in New York, New Jersey area that will be held at MetLife Stadium. That has been already been designated by the USA Soccer Committee. That will be where the final is going to be t- taking place at because, as mentioned again, the United States is going to hold most of the matches, but you're still going to have a few in Mexico and in Canada. So, Kyle, I mean, I looked at the list there for both Mexico and Canada, pretty obvious. I think they're all three are going to have matches somewhere at some point in Mexico and in Canada. I take a look at the United States and some of these lists that come across to me, potentially really good cities and a potential plethora of different altitude and different climate ranges. And especially during the summertime, you just never know what's going to happen. Is there any city maybe that you look at that either stands out or maybe is there a city? I'll let you lead off. Is there any city that maybe you felt maybe got kind of the raw edge of the deal and was not on this list? So, so, uh, as for not on this list, uh, I, I don't know yet. Um, let me. So, a couple of thoughts first. First, I think that uh, what uh, MLS, <laughs> along with uh, USA Soccer, one one thing that they probably want to want to, you know, quote unquote, um, uh, mm-hmm. market, if you will, is uh, extension of of uh, MLS teams, aka. Uh, other expansion teams are newer teams such as Atlanta and Cincinnati. So mm-hmm. I think Atlanta will be a very, very, uh, I think it will be very high on the list. Um, the, the, what, what Atlanta United can do with the Georgia Dome is absolutely mesmerizing. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen any of their, their games and some of their highlights in the stadium, check it out. It, it is a joy to watch. Um, however, I mean, being from a, a native Texan, I would love to see Houston on there. Houston is the only, besides Dallas, is the only t- uh, city in Texas, which is ironic. Uh, I, I, you would think that Austin or maybe even San Antonio would be up there, um, just given their geographical locations. But uh, I, I think both Houston and Dallas will cover uh, at least one, if not two, games. Dallas is obviously more central, going towards Oklahoma. So I think that would serve a good area uh, for Oklahoma and other uh, fans in that area i think when i think geographically you're going to think about four corners maybe even six right you think mm-hmm. up you know out east right we already covered new york right then you got to go down south right well what's down south we got miami all right so let's keep going across what's next houston or dallas all right keep going what else do you have uh going out west let's see uh we have we have seattle and mm-hmm. and we have la yeah. right so there's yeah so there's there's, so there's there's southwest and then there's and then there's northwest right and then we'll go up across and then if you want to go up across you can got Kansas City right there right Kansas City is a great soccer city um, with uh, Kansas City um, uh, team there so I, I think th- those are my takes right there I think some notable uh, some notable um, cities I think Orlando's a notable city Um and I think uh, Denver is another good one. Um, it'd be interesting if some of these other team, uh, these other cities, such as Boston, uh, which is kind of ironic because Boston doesn't really have a uh, what's the closest team to MLS team to Boston. Well, I mean, you have the New England Revolution. Yeah, you there. got the Revs. Yeah, the Revs are there. Uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, you you think that Boston would be out there? Boston's a massive city. Um, as for Canada, uh, don't really have a comment. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's nothing against Canada. Don't get me wrong, uh, but 
uh, Canada is very, very big and it only covers the top of America. Uh, for our uh, foreign um, friends that are listening internationally. Um, so uh, as for Mexico, I definitely see uh, Mexico City. Uh, Monterrey is a, a huge, huge mm-hmm. uh, good area. And Guadalajara, I think that would be good. Um, and I'm actually, to add on to this, I'm actually very proud that all three of these countries have come together to host this together. Um, and I, I think it's going to be great. I think... Uh, the USA is well-deserved in this. And let's be honest, this should have happened a long time ago. Um, probably at least one to two, maybe even three World Cups ago when the U.S. should have hosted again. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, that's my thoughts. <laughs> there are tremendous ones, too, indeed. I mean, yeah, you looked at it here in this upcoming one with, with, the United, with Mexico now, with this joint bid, this will be the third time Mexico will have, third, will have World Cup matches. For the United States, it'll be the first time since 94. And for Canada, it will be their first time hosting anything as far as the men's side. Let's not forget the women already had the Women's World Cup back in 2015 for them. But <clears throat> as far as the cities of list goes, Yes, to get it out of the water for everybody quick, for those asking where where is Chicago? Well, Chicago, by virtue of tax reasons imposed by FIFA, they included themselves out of the candidate city because they were certainly one of the candidate cities, but they took themselves off the list from, them, from for themselves. So that's why Chicago's missing from this list. But if I look from this from this entire list, you mentioned it. Atlanta's probably very central, big, huge location, huge airport, one of the biggest airports in the world. So huge. it's going to be about accommodation about this, Kyle, because you have to think about this. We are going to 48 teams in this tournament. That's why we are spread across three different countries for this upcoming World Cup in about five years from now. So you have to think about this proximity, accommodation for all these teams and their crowds, which are certainly going to be coming, especially from the UEFA side, from wherever it is from. And so, but I like the side of Atlanta. I do like that. I would figure any of the two Texas cities, be it Houston or Dallas, absolutely will get will get matches. Wouldn't surprise me if both of them see matches. Some of these, though, that I, I mean, your common ones, Los Angeles, Miami, Orlando, absolutely. But I like what you were talking about. I kind of point towards, yes, I'm going to be a little more West Coast biased on my side, but I would love to see matches played at mile high, not just in Mexico City, but also in Denver. I'd love to see that altitude type of game. I'd like to see the Kansas City what could Arrowhead Stadium do not just from outside of NFL games but what could a crowd at Kansas City bring from themselves and then in Seattle we know what the Sounders bring when they're playing MLS matches there what would it look like in Seattle from up there so you have a plethora of ranges so I like that six kind of you said point coast to coast six points that you could take a look at especially from the west coast and on the east side and in the midwest itself so this will get narrowed down. I can't remember how many cities will, will it will be narrowed down to. But like I said, I would expect all three cities in Montreal, in Canada, and all three cities in Mexico to probably get bids from there and from that. So that list will get narrowed down. I don't know when that will happen, but certainly for myself and for Kyle, I think it's pretty much agreed that yes, it's not too early to start thinking about 2026, even though we're still trying to get qualified for 2022. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. And as a reminder to our our listeners, uh, the first World Cup was forty eight teams, like Tyler said. With oh, we'll have eighty games instead of the current sixty four. Eighty instead of sixty four. That's quite quite the jump. The proposal was to play sixty games in in the United States, ten in each in Canada and Mexico. When the big contest was won in two thousand eighteen, that is straight uh, from usatoday.com. Uh, they have a great article on there. Make sure to check it out. Yes, indeed. Now, we think about some. We think about sticking to the subject here in the USA. I want to stick here for just a little bit. Now, I'm going to lead off. I'm going to lead mostly to this. Um, Kyle's going to have maybe a little bit of thought on this, but I, I bring something up on this for this matter. <clears throat> we know with the USA women's national team they've been having a couple of matches they had a couple of friendlies against Colombia in Orlando over the weekend which absolutely great they looked like they hadn't lost a step whatsoever I was a little bit of surprise though to see that U.S. soccer came out to announcing that the She Believes Cup is going to happen now for those who don't know about the She Believes Cup 
This was created by USA Soccer, a miniature tournament with, with including the USA. They bring in three teams, three very, very talented women's teams. Usually the likes, it is usually the likes of Canada, Brazil, and Japan. Yes, prominent, prominent women's soccer teams, dominant teams that they come in for a small competition, kind of preseason matchups, be it for Olympics or qualification, whatever it may be. Normally, in a certain situation, outside of a pandemic time frame, I'm all for this because I want to see what Brazil brings. I want to see what Japan specifically brings. And we know with the rivalry between Canada and the United States, what it always brings. But to hold it this season, I'm having a little bit of second thoughts for giving it to this, just given the matter of the different restrictions that each country has. I mean, I already know, we know from certain situations that Brazil and Japan both are, have some very, very severe limited restrictions going in and going out of the country right now. And even Canada themselves, I mean, Canada professional sports wise, nobody's getting into Canada right now. The NHL teams are playing in Canada and the Toronto Raptors for crying out loud, have to have home games in Orlando to play any NBA games right now in the situation. So it's adapting to certain situations like this and given what I know, what travel restrictions are right now, that I'm having some problems with USA Soccer still going with, with this particular tournament. Now, I could be proved wrong. They're going to be playing this Orlando because that's really where any place you play right now where it's one, warm, and two, you can have any type of some sort of fans in the stands because if you play anywhere else, you're just not going to get them. But I don't know, Kyle. I mean, it may not be too much. I mean, maybe I'm thinking too hard about this because – yeah, I know other leagues are playing. Yeah, I know we're playing other friendlies and stuff right now. And yes, we're trying to get some sort of normalcy. But I mean, in this particular situation, does it really make to me, I don't really know if it makes any sense right now to play a miniature tournament that really doesn't mean count anything towards FIFA or anything like that. I understand given the competition between these are some of the four best women's teams in the world. But I mean, does it really make sense right now for them to be playing this miniature tournament? Absolutely. Right. Right. Uh, and you know what? And you know, what? I think you already hit the nail on the head uh, right there. Is it worth it? The USA has, let's be honest, dominated the women's game the last, let's go with the last, what, 10 years, maybe yeah. uh, on it, you know, you know, periodically they've had their bumps, but they've, let's just be honest. They are the dominant team in the women's uh, soccer league or women's soccer league, excuse me, in the national <laughs> level. Right, they 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 vastly, vastly outperform other teams. Uh, other teams that are that are, have have greatly caught up to the women's the USA women's standards, if you will. Japan, uh, Sweden is another one. Uh, a great competition, but I agree. Is it worth it? Now we've already made the argument during the pre-show. Is like, well, is it? You have all these different leagues. Uh, MLS uh, just finished a couple of months ago. And then you have all the leagues in Europe playing. Uh, so is that by those standards, could they play? Yes. However, is it worth it during the current epidemic, quote unquote, is it worth it? I'm going to have to say no, because what, because you've already, again, you hit the nail on the head, my friend. It doesn't, it, it, towards points uh, in the division, it does not count towards anything. It is simple, simply a friendly tournament. And this is a national tournament, not a not a club tournament club tournaments are a little different when it comes to preseason this is a national tournament it does not to me it does not prove anything mm-hmm. i agree I, yeah. I i i i'm nope i pass no thank you yeah no i mean i i, I get if if the if the premise behind this is for teams and clubs because i, I know money situations a little bit different for different teams and i don't know what the situations are financially wise but I mean, if if the if the federations for both Japan, Canada, and and also for Brazil are all a part of this, then I mean, and everybody is following different protocols in this situation. I mean, I get from that standpoint that everybody wants to play, everybody wants to get going. We got to get back to some type of normalcy with our lives, and I get that. But at this point, for me right now, I just don't see why it's really worth trying to play a yearly tournament. I mean. We've seen many. We've seen many competitions. Everything get postponed into next season or maybe further down the road. If you want to play this, me, I think you can still play it this year. But I think right now might just be a little bit too early to play it. Maybe let's look towards I don't know June, July, maybe down the road just a little bit when maybe we're going to have a little bit of better understanding, a little more light at the end of the tunnel of things getting out of this pandemic. But I just, for me right now, I, I just don't see really the positive more. I see more negatives and positives coming out of this. 
Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. And you, when you think about, you know, other things to it, so say, say they play at one area, right? Say they all play in, say, like a central location like Dallas, right? Say they all play in Dallas. Every team flies in. They all quarantine for two weeks, right? And then they play. And then they all quarantine for two weeks and then leave again. Like, there, there's more than just the teams playing each other. Like, I know in the EPL, the EPL have what's called the tier system. Uh, mm-hmm. Tiers one, two, and three. I think there's another one. That if, whether you're not in, you're in this tier of this area that's affected depends on how many fans are allowed to go into the stadium. So that's another thing you got to think about. If it's a she, she Believes Cup, is it actually going to bring any money in? Because if they're not going to let fans in and all the only thing that they're going for, towards is TV, uh, TV rights and TV money, uh, that, that's a completely different argument. Uh, as for ticket sales, are you just going to limit? If it's, it's a stadium that seats 50,000 people, you know, just rough numbers, are you only going to let in five, ten? And then, then you're starting to wonder, okay, and this is more into a business argument, you know, you know, profit margins and all that kind of stuff. Is it, is it more, what are you trying to prove here? What's the point? So I, I agree. I, I, I don't see, I, I don't see a real benefit from it. No, I don't either. But again, time will tell from this. So, I mean, for these matches, for this cup wise, it'll begin here in February, a little bit down the road next month in February. These matches will all take place in Orlando at Orlando City FC Stadium. But it will be limited fans. So I would assume probably about the same as what they had these last two matches, about five, six thousand people in the stands. They're not going to be playing in any 50,000 seat arena, especially for women's soccer right now or any type of soccer matches right now. And as speaking in the matter of just one minor note, again, the men's national team is going to have a match a friendly in Orlando here coming up I believe here either tomorrow or this weekend coming up they're going to play Trinidad and Tobago so you can catch that match too so speaking of the men's national team for me Kyle the last thing I have for me tonight is this and this is something that I bring back I go back to Italy here Weston McKinney is one of the more prominent figures right now, the men's national team, one of the more better attacking midfielders. To me, certainly, if you wanted to give him the captain's armband, I certainly believe uh, Mr. Bradley, Mr. Bradley has given up the captain's armband to this man because I believe Weston McKinney is becoming the heart and soul and the leader that you need for the United States men's national team as they get qualification into next year's World Cup. But his loan to Schalke, is no longer a just alone. It is now permanent. His success at Juventus and what he's been playing under Cristiano Ronaldo and also in company right now, and the success that he has has earned him a permanent contract with Juve. Juventus has announced that they will buy the rest of his contract. He will remain at Juventus on a permanent status, which to me is very exciting, especially from a USA standpoint. We've seen the huge transition especially of going to Europe. And what do most guys do? They're going under the academy systems in Germany or in Austria. They kind of start from there. They build their talent. They get good. And then they move into different leagues, mostly EPL-wise, or they stick around to different teams, bigger teams itself. We're seeing this transition, and you're seeing now with guys playing in EPL. You're seeing more guys in La Liga. You're seeing guys in the French League. And now, and especially in the German and obviously in the Bundesliga, But there could be a transition that I believe it's Serie A could really do and benefit from because Weston McKinney was pretty much a cheap buy. His loan from Schalke was no more than $12 million for Juve. Now to make that permanent, they only have to pay $18 million. So imagine that, and rather than paying $40 million for maybe somebody that might be a little bit older, may have a little bit more experience and more stardom to their name, but is going to cost Juventus more. But, if this, but by the same token, maybe bringing in Weston McKinney, paying the little cheaper price, letting him prove himself, which he is certainly proving himself at Juventus right now. Because Cristiano Ronaldo and the rest of his teammates have nothing but good to say for this guy right now. And I love watching him play under the Juventus system. Could this be a trend that the USA, that it, Italy should do, especially maybe taking a look at more MLS players, maybe taking a look at guys who are Americans, who are training under academy systems, and maybe bringing them back in? Because we want to know, there was a time when Serie A was where you wanted to go play. Now it's an EPL. The shift has happened and changed. Absol- but I know absolutely. Italy. But I know Italy still wants to be on that game, because if you go into the, the tiered system, Italy, it seems like every year seems to be following further and further back behind the other two. The only one that maybe they're ahead of, to me personally, is they're still ahead of the French League because it's PSG and everybody else. But 
I feel that there's falling behind Germany. They're falling behind Spain. They're certainly behind it, England right now. So could there be some ways that Italy could do, maybe transition to the system and maybe get in? Because you look at the Americans right now on this list, the last time we've got at least 11 or 12 guys that are playing first team football in Europe under top leagues right now. And only one of those guys is in Italy. The rest of them are spread out all over the other leagues. What's Italy got to do? Is, is this something they can do or is it something you would want them to do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, I think Italy is going to soon uh, the next probably few seasons, Italy is going to dip their toe into the, pool of american talent that usa fans the you know the 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 beloved yankees as we call them or you know the you know the yanks you know that please take you know please take our players overseas why because <laughs> that's where the best teams are that's where the best managers are that's where the competition's at we've been pleading for that for years and it's finally happening and i think italy will follow suit eventually eventually uh, you, you, Italy, you have a lot of traditional teams in Italy um, that kind of stick to their ways. Uh, Inter is one of them, or at least traditionally, Inter is one of them. Um, so uh, I, I think they will. I think it's going to take a couple more seasons, but I think they'll eventually get there. I think for me, especially what I looked at more is, I, 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 and I, you mentioned it there, there are specific Italian clubs that have a specific way of how they want to bring guys in. And they're very particular and they're very picky. And let's not question that fans and supporters are very, very particular in what they see and what brings in. As anything that I've learned from fans and those who know the Italian league better than I do have told me they're very picky in what comes in and what comes out of the Absolutely. Italian league. But I tell you right now, Weston McKinney is winning the fans of Juventus. I mean, they've, they've already created a chant for this na- for this guy. Then you're doing something right, and especially at a club like Juventus. But maybe like maybe the mid-tier teams, so like Sampdoria or Bologna or any of these other clubs, could really benefit maybe taking a look into these systems. Because I watched the other day, I just watched another McKinney, no relation to Weston, but I don't remember his first name. Another McKinney just played, just started his first match in the Belgian league for Ghent. I have Brandon Aronson, who just moved from New York Red Bulls. He's now at the Red Red Bull uh, <clears throat> Austria at the Salzburg system for the Austrian Premier League. He just started his first game this past weekend. These guys are under the age of 20. I feel that Italy is missing out on this particular situation. I'm not saying you have to overhaul and bring in Americans all the time, but maybe start bringing in like one or two. Give these guys a test. Give them a little bit more. Play, get them training under your the way that you prefer to play. Because, yes, Italian leagues and Italian teams have different styles of play. And I think if given the time frame and under their academy assistance to me, I would think the Americans could be a little bit more, a little bit better relationship, and especially then, then you're going to know the style of play when you get into World Cup play or into Europa or Champions League play itself. Absolutely, absolutely. You you definitely hit the nail on the head. Um, I, it, yeah, I, I just think it'll take a little bit more time. Um, if you, if 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 uh, anyone's listening, <laughs> if anyone's <laughs> listening, uh, our thirty so odd listeners and our couple hundred or whatever it is followers. Um, if you haven't watched the Copa 90, uh, uh, on YouTube about the traditions of Italian leagues, uh, or Italian, uh, teams, definitely do it. I think that's tradition. Like I said, why teams like Inter and some of these other teams, um, historically, uh, are very traditional. However, I think with the given way that, uh, you know, like how EPL has been recruiting and, uh, and, uh, the German, uh, leagues have been, uh, recruiting, uh, American players, I think eventually they will follow suit. I just think it takes a little bit more time for them. Yeah. No, believe it there for myself. So that's about so, all I got for tonight, my friend, unless you got something else. I, I'll, I'll leave it at this. Uh, big news into going into the weekend. We have major matches. Make sure you tune in to your local broadcasters and Peacock Premium. By the way, uh, here's another news thing. Uh, there's a rumor going around that NBCSN is no longer going to be a thing in the upcoming uh, season or so, uh, whether it's TV rights or something like that. Um, uh, but we will do that research, mm. and we will and we will cover that. Uh, apparently, everything is going to Peacock Premium. Peacock ain't that bad. 
it's a good good service. What I can tell <laughs> you, and from what I've read on, this is no rumor or deal. It is pretty much a done deal. This is by the end of the year, the NBC Sports Network will cease to exist. That doesn't mean NBC Sports is going away entirely, completely, but they are transitioning to what's going on these days, Kyle the stream to service. That is the way of the world. That is the way that people are going to these days, the on demand. You have CBS all access with champions. League. that's how you watch ESPN plus for me, for both the Bundesliga and Serie A Peacock is now as much as everybody wants to complain with it and doesn't like it. Well, people, this is the way that we evolve. This is, we just, we don't like change. And if you don't like change, well, I'm sorry. This is the way the world evolves itself. Yeah, I bucked up and paid the extra six bucks a month now. So that way you can watch every EPL match. And you're going to do it one way or another because you support your team. So this is going to happen. Yeah, this is going to happen. So we'll kind of watch it a little bit more as we get down the road. We'll we'll, we'll follow this story on. Biggest uh, game coming up, a big one tomorrow, Spurs and Liverpool. Uh, Very, very big game uh, in London. And then going into Saturday, the big games to watch. We've already covered it. Sheffield United, Man City, Arsenal, and Man United. And going into Sunday, there's a big match. And I don't know if you have it on on your calendar, but I definitely do. And that's West Ham and Liverpool. Hmm. It's going to be it a great a... weekend and a lot to cover next week. There'll be a lot of me there. I mean, as an, I'll, I'll, I'll put in my Bundesliga plug in just because I love the Bundesliga. <laughs> yep, There's yep. so much there. But a couple of matches there that I watch for the weekend itself. Uh, Bayern is going to be taking on Hoffenheim. Dortmund needs to get their ball rolling on the other side. They're going to have Augsburg at home. I'd say the big one over the weekend is going to be RB Leipzig against Bayern Leverkusen. These guys are playing at the top of the league because as we look at the table, as I look at the table for the Bundesliga, yes, right now, Bayern Munich is running away with it right now at first on the table, seven points ahead of second place RB Leipzig. So RB Leipzig, Leverkusen at second and third right now. And yes, my Dortmund team, They've been dropping matches like crazy. They are driving me up a wall, sitting at seventh place right now, but only three points out of fourth place. So a win is desperately needed this weekend. Let's figure it out. Black and yellow, please. Let's figure something out so we can start getting some matches and getting wins in so that we keep for Champions League next year. And, oh, yeah, Champions League is going to return back in February, folks. We're not far away. We're not far away. Clap, clap, clap. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. That's a good show, my friend. I think that's all we have for this evening. I think that's good. I think we've done enough talking, and I think we've covered what we wanted to do from there, and it was a while to do it. So I appreciate you being flexible with me, and I know sometimes I get jumping off the roof there, but, yes, it drives me nuts, and this is what happens. We get a lot of stuff, and we just had to get it off tonight, so I'm glad I could join with you tonight. Absolutely. It's always great to have you on the show, and uh, if it's a friendly reminder to all of our listeners, if you want to be on the show, just send us a direct message to Tyler Bates or myself, Kyle D'Antoni. You can find us at Soccer Central News on Facebook. Feel free to reach out. If you have a topic, let's talk. If you don't want to have a topic, just follow us. <laughs> I still guess. want you guys. We do yeah. want you because I know you guys are still on there, and I know you guys talk to us, and I know you guys listen sometimes, and we've got a lot of variety of fans, and I would love to have input from people, especially more and more, especially particularly to specific teams and how they feel because – Kyle and I can say one thing, but if I get a perspective from another from another person who is a fan of that club, it brings out a little bit more of the richness of what we what we have this page for. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. And I think that's the I think that's the last we got tonight, man. Uh, okay. For you know Tyler Bates and Kyle D'Antoni, we're signing off, and we'll talk to you soon. Everybody, take care.